I believe as a man, there are certain times when you have to put up a fight. There are times when it would be wrong not to fight. I believe that God created each man with the heart of a warrior. There is a time to put up a spiritual fight, a time to draw a line in the sand and say, you can't cross this line. The world has yet to see what God can do through one man, wholly surrendered unto him. You can be that man. Well, a good morning. We want to say welcome once again. If this is your first time joining us, I'm Pastor Luke. I'm one of the assistant pastors here. And we just want to say welcome to church. Thank you for joining us. So when Pastor asked me to preach the other week, I really didn't know, again, what I was going to preach on. I always put a lot of thought into this, a lot of, a lot of study and a lot of time. I'm like, okay, what am I going to preach on? What am I going to preach on? So I was praying about it. And normally I have like a whole list of just, I have this book that I just get ideas. I'm like, okay, I can make a message about that. What about that? But I just finished a book, an audio book I was listening to at work. And it's called Fight, Winning the Battle That Matters Most. And to me, it was such a powerful book that I was like, Are you, you know what? That's what I will do. So today, it's kind of almost like a book report into a message. So a lot of what I have to say is stuff that I pulled from this book, stuff that just really spoke to me. So I encourage you, mainly this book is written for men, but it is also applicable to women. So I encourage you to pick it up. If you want to borrow my copy, you can. I don't have a problem with that. A lot of people think fight. We're going to talk about fighting in church. Isn't that a little controversial? Well, fighting may not always be physical. In Ephesians 6.12, it says this, For our fight not against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil powers and rulers of the unseen world. Against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in heavenly places. Thank you for this time that we can open up the word. We can hear from you. We thank you for the sunshine today. We thank you that We thank you that we can stand here and we can stand up for what is right. In your holy and most gracious name, amen. In learning how to fight, point number one, you need to pick your battles. You need to pick your battles. I have not always been very good at this. Growing up in middle and high school and even a little bit of college, I had a little bit of an anger problem. The easiest things would set me off. Even when it came to playing a pickup game of basketball, I would always say, well, I'm not a basketball player, so I, I don't care. But if I missed a shot, as I walked off the court, I'd punch the metal basketball pole with my fist. Your hand against the metal pole 
doesn't ever win. Just to let you know, I walk away many times with a swollen hand because I was not picking my battles properly. In college, we went up to a YMCA to help out with a youth lock-in. And the winning team of the youth group would get to play the college kids, us college kids. And we played them, and there was, again, a lot of shots I missed, a lot of things. I'm like, man, I cannot believe I did that. So afterwards, I just kicked that basketball as hard as I could, went flying up onto the running track, and the guy who worked at the college who went with us came over and was like, Luke, what are you thinking? What are you doing, man? You're letting your anger get the best of you. We're here to be an example. Luke, you've got to pick your battles. And right now, you're picking the wrong one. There's a lot of people who pick the wrong battles. Even growing up, very independent, fundamental Baptist, I would choose things that would not further the kingdom of God. I would argue with people over things that we would say are extra-biblical things like KJV onlyism, saying that's the only word, only Bible that English people should be speaking. I would argue with people about whether tattoos were okay, or whether dancing, or what type of music, or even to the point of, what, he's going to stand on the pulpit without a tie on? And now, I'm like, okay, hey, those aren't battles that I need to argue about. They're minuscule things that are not furthering the kingdom of God. We are created for righteousness. And until we tap into that divine cause, we will be frustrated and burn out and bored and not be able to further the kingdom of God. I thank God that right now I get to live what I feel is my divine cause. I get to be part of a team that is on the front lines of the most important war here. The most important team here at the church of helping lead you guys, helping you fight the spiritual battles between heaven and earth. My sword is drawn, and I am willing to do what it takes for the cause of Christ, to help people follow Christ. And it starts with me, and it starts with my family, and from there it should bleed into everything I do and everywhere I go. As men, we are created with the heart of a warrior. We are created to want to fight. But again, I said, this fight isn't always physical. A lot of the times, it's a spiritual fight. We need to be fighting for biblical values, for things that come straight from the Word of God. I know this may not be the popular stance, But for me, I think it's the biblical stance. We need to be fighting for the lives of the unborn children. The lives of the babies that are still in the mother's womb. We need to be fighting for children who are being sold into sex trafficking and slavery. For those of you, if you are new here, we support a mission called Destiny's Rescue. And that's exactly what they do. They are on the front lines going into these brothels figuring out how to rescue these children so that they can be free and not in sex trafficking and as slaves. We need to be fighting for social injustice and we need to be fighting against racism. We need to be fighting 
against addiction and fighting for addiction resources. And the one way you can do that is by supporting New Hope for Recovery. By coming to a meeting, by giving your support, by saying, you know what, I'm going to give my tithe this week, but I'm going to give a little bit of extra money because I know they want to do something in helping people set free. We need to be fighting for our families by leading them towards God in everything we do. In Craig Groeschel's book, Fight, he says this, He says, a man without a cause from God is often just an angry man who doesn't know where to direct his pent-up energy and aggression. A warrior with a cause from God directs that warlike energy for a cause greater than himself. Men and women who are truly strong in the Lord are the ones who say, Lord, I am weak and I need you. You may think, you know what, I, I don't really feel I'm fighting a battle. I don't really feel I'm really fighting anything. I'm, I think I'm pretty good. I'm standing pretty firm. Well, 1 Corinthians 10:12 says this, if you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. For those of us who think, you know what, I'm good. I'm good. That is when the enemy is going to attack us. Satan likes to make strong men weak, where God likes to make weak men strong. How many of us can truly say, God, I am weak, and I want you to make me strong? Point number two, strong men with weak wills. Strong men with weak wills. It's sometimes hard to serve God when things are going right. It is hard to serve God to be totally sold out when things are going right. But it's even harder to serve Him when things are tough. When you can barely make it. When your baby won't stop crying at night and you've fed her and you've changed her and you've held her and you've rocked her and you just look down and say, Ellie, what is wrong? I can't wait for years from now to be able to tell her, like, yeah, baby girl, when you were seven weeks old, I used you in a sermon. Just be careful what you do because you're going to be used at all times. But it's hard to serve God and be like, God, all right, yes, it's all good. In those tough times, when the bills keep coming in, but the money doesn't. When your football team keeps losing, you're like, all right, this is going to be a good year. I can feel it. And then they end up taking a dive. Again and again. It's hard to serve God when the job is tough and you're frustrated and you just want to quit. When you decide, okay, I'm going to truly live for God. I know I can't, but I know with Him, I can. In Ezekiel, there was a shortage of godly men and it says this in Ezekiel 22:30, I looked for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land. I searched for someone to stand in the gap in the wall so I wouldn't have to destroy the land. But I found no one. If God looked down today at New Hope Talmadge, 
I pray with all my heart he would not say, I found no one. I pray that he wouldn't say, okay, I found, you know, one or two, maybe three, possibly four. I pray, and I know it's pastor's prayer as well, that if God looked down here, he would say, I not just found one or two, but I found a room full of men and women who are devoted to me, who want to further my kingdom. So today we're going to talk about one of my favorite Bible characters, Samson. Most of us know a little bit about Samson. We know, one, that he was a really strong dude. He married Delilah, and she cut his hair. But we're going to dive a little bit deeper into the story. It's a very short section in Judges that talks about Samson. It's like four chapters long. So we're not going to read everything. We're going to hit bits and pieces, but I encourage you to go check that out later this week. Because, wow, talk about an interesting, up-and-down, twist-turning story. That is an action-packed movie right there. So in Judges 13 is where we're going to start. Samson's mom and dad, they were having a hard time conceiving a child. And it says this in Judges 13, starting in verse 3. The angel of the Lord appeared to Mona's wife and said, Even though you have been unable to have children, you will soon become pregnant and give birth to a son. So be careful. You must not drink wine or any other alcoholic drink, nor eat forbidden food. That means like uh, touch any unclean animals. You will become pregnant and give birth to a son. And his hair must never be cut, for he will be, a, he, he will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. He will begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. Sometimes we're too focused on the finish instead of where to begin. All it takes is one thing for you to start. That's what God is asking you. He's not calling you to finish. He's saying, hey, I just want you to start. So again, the three things that Samson's, Samson was not allowed to do as a Nazarite, he couldn't have any alcoholic beverage. They said that some Nazarites even went as far as not touching grapes or eating grapes or raisin. Two, he couldn't touch anything unclean, so he couldn't touch a dead animal. Two, and three, he couldn't ever cut his hair. Why the hair? Well, now, when we decide to follow Christ, we follow it up with baptism. It's an outward sign of an inward commitment. It's kind of like a wedding ring. You wear a wedding ring that the way you can show people, hey, I'm married. Well, Nazarites would grow their hair long, and people would look at them and be like, that person's dedicated to God. Not just by how they act and how they walk, but how they look. You can see it because of their outward appearance. So again, he was never to cut his hair. You may think, okay, okay, so here's Samson. He's a Nazarite. He's been chosen by God. He has supernatural strength. What do I have in common with Samson? I don't have any strengths. I don't have a wonderful power like God gave him. But we do have a strength that God has given us. 
Some of us have the ability to love people no matter what. Some of us have the ability to stand at the door during service. Some of us have the ability to stand up here and sing. Some of us have the ability to teach. Some of us have the ability to work in the kitchen or work in the tech booth. God has given each and, each and every one of us an ability to serve Him in loving Him and loving those around you. And in doing that, that's how we have a warrior's heart. Before we see all of our weaknesses, we need to remember that God has given us great strengths. And those great strengths He has given us is we must fight and we must win. We must fight against the devil and like it said, the evil rulers of this world against the principalities, the things that we can't see. We must always be on guard fighting against them. And when we are, the promise is God has already given us the victory. I don't know about you, but I've read the end of the Bible. And the good thing is, God wins. God wins in the end. So if you choose to be on God's team, if you choose to be a dedicated follower of Christ, you don't have to worry about losing the war. You may lose some battles. But we will win the war. A lot of us are kind of like Superman. We have some strength, but we also have kryptonite. We have that one thing that really brings us down. That one thing that maybe keeps us from being a fully dedicated follower of Christ. That one thing that you keep making stupid decisions time and time again. And I think one reason why I kind of relate to Samson is Samson had so much great potential, but he kept giving in to his emotions time and time again instead of following God. So again, we're going to look here at Judges. Judges chapter 14, starting in verse 1. One day, Samson was in Timnah. Timnah was miles away from his hometown. One of the Philistines' women caught his eye. So now he was in Philistine territory. He went directly into enemy territory. When he returned home, he told his father and mother, a young Philistine woman in Timnah has caught my eye. I want to marry her. Get her for me. First of all, if I went to my mom and dad years ago, and said, hey, saw this really good-looking woman. Get her for me. If there's something laying around near my mother, she's going to throw it at me. You're going to ask my wife. She's not going to hit me. It's going to go totally off. But they're like, you want her? Get her yourself. But Samson tells his mom and dad, get her for me. His father and mother objected. Isn't there even one of our women in our tribe here, an Israelite who loves God that you could marry? They asked, why must you go to get the pagan Philistine to find a wife? Why do you need to go to an unbeliever, somebody who doesn't love God, somebody who hates God? Why are you going there? But Samson told his father, get her for me. She looks good. And that's what we say sometimes. Sin looks good. And I want it. 
sin entices us. So he sees this smoking hot woman. He says, I want her. His first problem, he was in enemy territory. Again, he walked directly into enemy territory. He didn't just end up there. He went there on purpose. But how many of us do that with a sin? Or maybe something that's not even a sin, but it's not directly to following God. We see the line and we're like, okay, there's the line. We walk closer and closer. Pretty soon we're next to the line. Like, well, I'm not going to cross the line. I'm just going to move the line over a little bit. And we keep moving the line from what God has called us to do. But now we're technically past the line. We walk directly towards sin and disobedience and things that do not bring us closer to God. So he's in enemy territory. He finds a forbidden woman who he's not supposed to marry because they worship false gods. And he's pretty much saying, I don't care what God says. I don't care what my parents say. I don't care what the law says. You know what? I don't care if it's right or wrong. I'm a man. I've got desires. I've got needs. I want it. I'm doing what I want. We don't plan to screw up our lives all at once. Samson didn't be like, you know what? I'm going to screw up my life and I'm going to, you know. We do it one step at a time. But we have an enemy who does want our life screwed up. Who does want us to totally fall away from God. Totally fall away from the church. The enemy wants to kill and destroy everything that matters to God. So we have to have a battle plan. And that battle plan starts right here. One, with being in the Word and walking with God. Two, it starts in the church faithfully attending, that way others can build you up. And three, it starts with those people around you. Building relationships with good, godly people who when you are doing wrong, they will look at you and be like, what are you doing? A couple weeks ago, me and Allie were talking about whether or not when we were going to get Ellie's ears pierced. And then Allie's like, well, can I get a nose ring? I'm like, sure, if you want a nose ring, as long as it's not one of those big honking bull rings. And I said, well, can I get an ear ring? She's like, no. I'm like, what about a nose ring? She goes, no. I'm like, lip ring? She's like, no. So we were talking. It's funny. So today I asked, I said, there's going to be some women. If I got a nose ring or a lip ring, like, what if I got a chain from my ear to my nose to my lip? I'm like, if I go to church, some of these women are going to be like, rip that out. Faith's like, yeah. And Anne-Marie said, I would just look at you and be like, what is wrong with you? What is going on? Because she loves me that much that she wants to hold me accountable. And that's what being in church helps you do. It helps keep you away from stupid decisions because that would be a stupid decision. And I'm pretty sure that Pastor Todd would smack me upside the head. And Miss Becky, I know that. I'm just saying Because they love me that much that they don't want you to make weird, stupid decisions. But we need to have a battle plan. One, we need to be intentional. And two, we need to protect our integrity. We need to be intentional and to protect our integrity. And we have to fight our desires and we have to fight to win. 
In this book, the author tells of a story of an Eskimo who was going to kill a wolf for attacking his livestock. But he wasn't able to trap him. He kept putting out a trap, and the wolf wouldn't get into it. Putting out a trap, and the wolf wouldn't get into it. So finally he made a decision. He took a knife, and he dipped that knife in animal's blood, the blade of the knife, and froze it. Then he dipped it again in animal's blood and froze it. And again and again until it had multiple layers of frozen blood on there. Then he took the handle of the knife and placed it in the ground. When the wolf came by, he smelled the blood and was hungry and began to lick the knife. As he licked the knife, layers of blood came off, but it also made his tongue go numb. By the end, the only blood he was tasting was his own. But his tongue was too shredded up to realize what he was doing, and all he could do was lay down and die. That's exactly what sin does to us. We don't realize how bad it really is until there's nothing left. So what traps are you feasting on right now? What knife are you continuing to lick that is harming you? What seems pleasurable and pleasant is actually a trap intended to take you out. So Samson finally convinces his parents, I'm going to marry this woman, we're going to go down there. So they go down there. On the way down, they come across a lion. He kills the lion with his bare hands and leaves it over to the side. On their way back from Timnah, from setting up the wedding, it says that in verse 8, that he turned off from the path they were walking on to go and look at the lion. So he had a straight shot home, but he decided to turn off and walk toward that dead lion. He thought, you know what, I know I'm not supposed to touch a dead animal, but uh, uh, I'm, I'm good. He let his pride get in the way, as many of us do. It's like, I can handle it. I can handle being near that dead animal. And when he went over... He saw that bees had made a nest in there. And now there was honey in there. And he was hungry. So he took a big scoop of that honey from that carcass. First of all, disgusting. Second of all, uh, no, I'm not going anywhere near bees. I'm just saying, you can call me a scaredy cat. You can call me whatever. But I hate bees. If there's bees over there, I'm not going over there. So when he broke his Nazarite vow, he broke his vow to God. It's like, God, I'm not going to touch a dead animal. What vow have we broken with God? He said, God, I'm going to do this and only this. God, I'm not going to do that. And yet we end up inching closer because we veered off the path that God had for us. The rest of chapter 14 goes something like this. So they go down there for the wedding, and it says that they had a week-long festival. What that word actually translates from the original Hebrew was, he threw himself a week-long drinking party. He had a huge cake party because he said, I'm getting married, 
I want to celebrate. And he broke his second vow to God, saying, God, I will not let any alcoholic beverage touch my lips. He gave the men there this riddle, and he made them a bet. He said, if you figure it out, I'll give you 30 pieces of clothing, but if you don't, then you owe me. Well, they went to his, what was going to be, wife, and they convinced her to tell, get the answer from him, and they do. So now he owes them 30 pieces of clothing. So he's like, where am I going to get 30 pieces of clothing? So he goes and finds 30 Philistine men, and he lets his emotions get the best of him, and he kills these men for their clothes just to pay off his debt. Takes them back, and he finds out that his wife told him the answer. And he's so angry, he goes home back to mommy and daddy to pout like a little crybaby. It's like, you know what? You made me mad. I'm going home. So eventually he gets over it. He goes back to Timnah, goes to the house. And what was his father-in-law? was like, what are you doing here? He's like, I'm going into my wife's bedroom. He's like, no, you're not. Yes, I am. She's not your wife anymore. He's like, what do you mean she's not my wife? I thought you hated her. So you left, so I gave her to your best man. It's like, what? He's like, listen, take her sister. She's younger and even more beautiful. Take her. Like, no, I wanted her. So again, Samson's anger problem comes out. He goes and finds 300 foxes, ties their tails together, lights them on fire, and puts them in the Philistines' field. Now the Philistines, they're furious with him. They're like, what in the world just happened? They're like, Samson did it. Samson did it. So now they take his ex-wife and her family and kill them. So now he's even more angry. He just keeps letting all these emotions get in his way. He finds himself in Philistine territory with over a thousand men, and he kills them all with the jawbone of a donkey. Talk about a miracle from God. I'm going to admit, I probably couldn't take one man unless they're about 100 years old. But to take a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey, God was with him. And he knew it. He knew that God was with him. And here he finds himself in the desert, super thirsty, and he cries out to God, God, you have done a mighty work and you have delivered me from these Philistines. You have delivered me from these pagans who hate you and it's only through you that I was able to do this. God, please don't let me die of thirst here. And right then, in verse 19, I love the two words here in verse 19. It says, but God. I love those two words in the Bible. They're in there multiple times where something is going wrong. Someone is not doing what they're supposed to do. It says, but God. Like it says, but God commanded His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Two words, but so powerful to me. That water sprang up from the ground. He drank it and He was revived. And here in chapter 15, at the end, verse 20, it says this, Samson judged Israel for 20 years during the period when the Philistines dominated the land. 
So he fought all these things, made all these mistakes, and then God revived him and put him in charge of the Israelites. For 20 years he served God. The word judge doesn't just mean like a judge today that makes laws and oversees things, but it also meant that he was a spiritual ruler. So for 20 years, Samson was on the straight and narrow path, serving God, seeking after righteousness' sake. God likes to make, Satan likes to make weak, strong men weak. God likes to make weak men strong. How can that be done? How can we become strong through God? We need to turn I want it into I want God. As soon as you start to feel yourself like, okay, I'm not living like I should, we need to cry out to God and be like, God, I need you. Turn I want it into I want God. We need to turn I deserve it into I deserve death says this in John 3:16 and 17 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I think sometimes we skip over and don't even keep reading into verse 17, but verse 17 is just as important as verse 16 it says For God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world. Jesus didn't come to look at you and say You're a filthy, dirty, sinful human. No, He sent Him that He, that the world would, through Him, would be saved. We don't have to serve God. You don't have to be here today. You don't have to get up tomorrow and thank God for anything. We get to. And we should want to. And three, we need, to turn, we need to turn I can handle it into I can't handle anything without God. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10 says this, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world, he is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. So the devil is working in those who don't want to worship God, who don't want to follow after God. All of us, all of us Christians used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God, so rich in His mercy, and He loved us so much that even though we were dead in our own sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For He raised us up from the dead along with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to all of, to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth and grace of His kindness toward us, as shown in all He has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saves you by His grace when you believe, and you can't take credit from this. 
It is a gift of God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He created us with something supernatural like He did Samson. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. We need to turn I can handle it into I can't handle anything without God. Point number three. We need to be spirit-led instead of emotion-driven. Spirit-led instead of emotion-driven. We just talked about how emotion-driven Samson was. He let his emotions, his anger, his lust get in the way all the time. About a month ago, I don't know what the conversation was, but I was walking through the kitchen and I heard Miss Becky tell some of the other ladies, the three pastors and the men of this church are more emotional than most of the women in the church. And I'm like, is that a compliment or an insult? But in the Monsters, Inc. movie, they say, we scare because we care. Well, I think that's kind of like with the men here who are emotional. We are emotional because we care. We are emotional because we want to see souls saved, lives changed, and people set free and found in Christ. Most men, we don't like to admit that we have emotions. We're tough. I'm tough. I don't have emotions. I tell you, having a baby has made me the biggest baby. I just look at her and I'm just like, oh, oh, she smiled. Oh, yeah, I'm totally weak. I'm totally wrapped around that little finger. And I'll admit, I'm a little emotional. I can get that way. But everybody's all like, eh, tough it out. Be a man. Suck it up. Stop. Well, the thing is, God created us with emotions. He created those emotions. We just need to learn how to use them properly and how to act on them properly. Time and time again, Samson let his sinful desires in the way. He lusted after a woman he should have never been looking at. He veered off the path and let his pride get in the way. He touched that unclean animal. And again... He let his anger get in the way time and time again. Killing, killing, and killing. All because over some woman that he thought he should be with. When it seems like he finally got a hold of all that. He finally got a hold of his his emotions. He finally started using them for good. And again, he led Israel righteously for 20 years. So what does the Bible say about being spirit-led? I'm going to throw up the reference of the verses because I've got a lot of verses here that I'm going to touch real quick. So the references are up there if you want to write them down, look them up later. Uh, Romans 8.14, it says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. We need to make sure that we are led by the Spirit of God. Galatians 5.22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. To have the Spirit of God, we see these fruits of the Spirit found in Galatians, and that's how people know that we are Christians. 
Uh, skip down to Colossians 3.16. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let the Word of Christ, the Bible, dwell in you. Think about it. Read it. That way you can be Spirit-led. Ephesians 5.18 And do not get drunk with wine, for that is foolishness, but be filled with the Spirit. Galatians 4.6 And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into your hearts. Galatians 5.16 But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. For when we are walking with the Lord, that will totally help us with all of our own sinful desires. John 14:26, Jesus told the disciples this, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, I need to go away so I can send this Spirit to you. Because if I don't leave, then you will not have the Spirit in you to help lead and guide you. Psalms 119, 105 your word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. In Romans 8.13, For if you live according to the flesh, if you live according to your own sinful desires, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your body, you will live. Henry Barley was talking to his new friend Dwight L. Moody or as some of us know, D.L. Moody after a conference. And Henry Barley said this, Moody, the world has yet to see what God will do with a man fully consecrated to Him. You could put it this way, the world has yet to see what God can do with one man or woman who is fully sold out to Him. Who is fully devoted, fully dedicated fully surrendered and totally following. Weeks later, Moody went up to Varley and said this, I will be that man. If God is looking for a man of integrity, a man of honor and courage and faithfulness, with God's help, I will be such a man. How many of us can truly make that one of our life's motto. Moody's messages have reached an entire world. One of the greatest evangelists of the 19th century. All because he knew that he needed to be spirit-led. One last point, and then we'll close. Point number four, small steps into big destruction. Small steps into big destruction. In Judges 16.1, it says this, One day, Samson went to the Philistine town of Gaza. One day. For 20 years, he was serving, and he walked into Philistine territory and spent the night with a prostitute. For 20 years, he was walking with God. He was fighting like a man. He had a strong will. He was being spirit-led instead of emotion-driven. He was picking his battles. 
And one day, he's like, you know what? I'm going to go for a walk. That can happen to any of us. I pray to God that I would never have to say, you know what? I put my 20 plus years of faithfulness on the line for a little pleasure, for a little good time, for a little sin. But one day he went to Gaza. Gaza wasn't just like Talmadge, Akron, or Talmadge, Cuyahoga Falls. No, Gaza was like, I don't know how many of you men went down to Jerry's house for the men's thing we had a couple months ago, but that's what it was. It was from here to Jerry's house. Or if you went to Pastor Chris's house, it was from here to Pastor Chris's house. Gaza was 25 miles away from his hometown. Now we may think today, well, that's not a lot. That's, you know, half an hour drive. But this was 25 miles of walking. Jerry, you want to walk home today? Never mind, you're in shape. I don't want to ask you. Lynn, you want to walk home today? <laughs> All right. I, I don't want to walk 10 miles, let alone 25 miles of this rocky territory. It would have taken at least eight hours of walking for him to do that. We don't plan to mess up our lives all at once. We do it one step at a time. So here Samson is leading well, and all of a sudden he decides, you know what? I can handle it. I will be fine. I know what I'm doing going down there. I got this. So, we don't keep our eyes on Jesus. That's exactly what we will do. So, 25 miles. How many steps is that? 56,250 steps. Samson had 56,249 chances to say, what am I doing? Why am I going this way? I was serving God. Why am I taking my eyes off of Him? What step are you on? What step are you on of walking away from God? Well, you know, I'm not, not, I'm not on any stop walking away from God. What step are you on walking towards God? Well, I'm not on any step walking towards God. I guess I'm just, I'm just kind of standing still. I'm just kind of standing here in the middle. There is no middle ground. You're either walking towards God or you are walking away from God. There is no standing still. God says, I don't want somebody who is standing still. I don't want somebody who is lukewarm. So now Samson is in enemy territory. He has a relationship with a prostitute. And again, he then falls in love with another Philistine woman. A woman who does not worship God. A woman named Delilah. Who eventually gets what she thinks is the secret to his strength. He tells her a couple things. None of that works. And finally she's like, Samson, tell me. It says in the Bible, it says, that 
she vexed him or she nagged him to death. And he's like, all right, I will tell you already. The secret is in my hair. I'm a Nazarite. My hair has never been cut. So she puts him to sleep, ties him up, shaves his head, and says, Samson, the Philistines are here. And they come in and he thinks, I got this. Just like I did these other couple times when they came in. I've got this. I can do this. I'm strong. I can handle it. And in verse 20 of chapter 16, it says, He did not know that the Lord had departed from him. He didn't know that his strength was gone. They took him. They gouged out his eyes and they tied him up and made him walk in circles, grinding grain. What step are you on? Whether you're on step one or you're on 56,249, it's never too late to turn back. The only time it's too late is after you're dead. If you're not dead, you're not done. God still has a plan for you. In John 1.9, it tells us that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The enemy hates us. He wants to destroy our marriage. He wants to destroy our family. He wants to destroy our testimony. He wants to destroy our friendships. We need to put on the full armor of God so that we can fight against all those sinful things, all those fiery darts that the devil is throwing at us. We need to stand up and we need to fight for what is right. Some time ago, after I came back from college, I was working at a daycare in Ravenna. And twice a week, we would go over to a swimming pool in Hartville. And we were there one week, and there was another daycare there. And this little punk, this precious little child of God, kept messing with one of my students. I'm just like, okay, I'm just watching. Kept throwing a water ball at him, hitting him, splashing him. Like, walk away. Just walk away. Kept walking away, kept walking away. Finally, that little kid picked up that ball I threw, hit him square in the back of the head. And I just looked at him and be like, do what you got to do. So he took that ball, got up out of the pool, chucked that ball over the fence. Kid started following him. He took him, pushed him in the pool. And that kid went over to his counselor crying. Sometimes you have to fight back. Yesterday was the anniversary of the 9-11 attacks. And fighting back, every year around this time, I am reminded of somebody who decided to fight back for righteousness. And I had put this in my message, and then I had seen somebody post it on Facebook too. And the guy's name was Todd Beamer. And one of the reasons why I kind of related to him so much at that time is he was a wrestler, I was a wrestler, and he was on the plane that was heading back towards Washington that was above Pittsburgh. And the story that I seen yesterday said one of the last things he did when he was on the phone call is he went over the Lord's Prayer and said that. And then after that, he said, me and some men got a plan together. 
we're going to fight back. We're going to take over this plane and we're going to fight against these evil powers. And he said, let's roll. How many of us want to do that today? How many of us want to say, let's roll. Let's fight back against Satan. Against all these sinful things that are coming at us. Let's fight back and fight for God. Later on in the story of Samson, they brought him out and they put him up in the temple. And there was a whole bunch of people in this big coliseum. And they tied him up and put his hand between two pillars. And he was blind and he was weak. And it said his hair began to grow again. And Samson cried out one last time. In verse 28 of chapter 16, he said, God, strengthen me one more time. Give me one last moment of glory for you. I'm sorry. I've messed up. I have not been following you. And he took those pillars and pulled as hard as he could. And it says that his strength returned to him. And that whole temple, that whole Colosseum came crashing down. And it says that he killed more Philistines in his death than he did in his life. More people who hated God and wanted to see everybody who worshipped God die. And he did that for God. Don't wait until it's too late. Don't wait until the last minute. You're going to say, you don't know me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I do. Well, think about this. Think about this. Imagine this once you are free. For years, I was a compulsive liar. But God set me free. For years, I was an addict. But God set me free. For years, I was lukewarm in my faith. I only went to church just to, you know, kind of show up and show people that I thought I was a Christian. But God gave me another chance to serve Him. For years, I didn't lead my family. I didn't ever pray with them. I didn't ever encourage them to read the Bible. But God gave me a new heart. And a new hope. Your victory gives other people hope. God is not finished with you yet. Even though you may not be winning at what matters most today, I believe that with the power of God, in a moment, you can change and you can have a warrior spirit and you can fight for what is right and you can pick the correct battles, and you can win. Each one of us has a true heart that wants to stand for what is right and what is just. We just need to die to ourselves. Samson died once in the end for righteousness' sake. Paul writes to us and tells us that we need to die daily. We need to wake up every day and say, God, I can't, but with you, I can.
The world is yet to see what God can do through one man or woman who is fully devoted, fully sold out, fully following Him. Sometimes we have to throw a punch. And sometimes we have to turn the other cheek. But in being Spirit-led, that's when you will know which one to choose. God is looking for a warrior. Are you going to stand up and say, I will be that warrior. I will fight. Let's pray today. Father, I pray that You would empower people of our church not to just be... pray that You'd these men, that they wouldn't just be men, but they would be men of God. They wouldn't be enforcing power and be a bully, but they would be servant leaders who they wouldn't let sin cross their path. They would draw a line in the sand and say, God, by Your strength, with Your power, we will stand up for what is right and we will win the battle that matters most. As we pray today, let's just go beyond the men. Ladies, I would pray that you would be a mighty warrior princess. You have a divine calling on your life as well. And your life can be set apart for God and for His purpose and glory as well. Some of us have some tough fights ahead of you. What I want you to do is I want you to think for a minute. And I want you to really open up your heart to God and what God might say to you. I want you to be very specific in your mind and in your honesty with God. What is the battle right now that you are fighting that you need to fight to win? You may say, God, show me what it is right now. What it is you want me to do. Who do you want me to stand up for? What private battles do I need your power to conquer and to win? What battle do you need to fight and win at this moment in your season of life? Some of us would say, you know what, I, I know what it is, and I want to take it before God, and I need His help. I know the battle that I am fighting, and I must win. And I know that with a little help, I can win. So in your moment of honesty with God, search yourself. Search your heart on what specifically... God wants you to fight and win. God, I pray these people here that you would give us the strength to rise up and to do what you've called us to do. That we would live something for something beyond ourselves and we would search our true divine destiny to you. Give us the strength and victory for everything we face. Scripture is clear. It says that the battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against powers and principalities of this dark world. And we need to fight, and we need to fight with God. Jesus fought the greatest battle of all time, and He came out on top so that we could be forgiven of our sins. In Your holy name, Amen.